Welcome to Trebuchet Talks 2019. You're about to listen to Time in Space, which was recorded at Lalo in Latimer Road on the 8th of October 2019. Time and Space was also the title for Trebuchet Issue 6, and these talks include two of the artists that were featured in the issue. Our guests on the night were digital artist Alex May, who was talking about painting objects in a dynamic space. Visual artist and filmmaker Jordan Baseman, who was talking about psychohorology and radio influenza. And dark matter physicist Malcolm Fairburn, who's a professor at King's College London. We'll be presenting each of these talks as a separate podcast, so please subscribe. Jordan's work is, um, well, currently, I think, you're a reader in time-based media at the Royal College of Art. I am. And your work uh, in, uh, the, I guess, the, the most uh, well-known one and the most recent one is Radio Influenza, which we'll talk about in a bit. But often your work um, plays with recorded interviews to conjure a sense of place and time, defiantly removed from the idea of the purely factual reproductions, but they're more a synthesis of reportage, portraiture, documentary, creative non-fiction and storytelling, which um, kind of reference the objective stance of historians, anthropologists and and those people, but really create more of an interpretive frame of a situation, I suppose you'd say. Um, The recent work, Radio Influenza, which was uh, work commissioned by the Wellcome Trust? It was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, details, well, you'll talk about it more, but it was quite an ambitious digital commission to mark the centenary of the 1980 influenza pandemic known as the Spanish flu. It delivers 365 daily audio soundtracks over the course of a full year ending on the 31st of October. So each day um, Jordan has created a broadcast which charts the spread, the growth, I suppose, the death toll, and some of the human stories of the influenza epidemic. Um, it's an incredibly moving piece that I, uh, well, kind of have to check in, <laughs> but you can listen to bits of it uh, through Spotify and also on the website, which we'll show a link of later on. Um, for the time and space issue that we had, um, on, sale, on sale now, of course, um, Talking to Jordan was was really uh, a fantastic thing because his uh, his work uses the concept of time in a way that we can we can understand we can listen to the broadcasts each day and we can imagine uh, over progressive days how information was spread to different people and how they could understand the spread of influenza. Um, Jordan, how did you come up with this idea? Was it something about the centenary that sparked the the concept? You know what? I don't remember, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, the Wellcome Trust invited me to put a proposal together. Uh, they, put, they invited a bunch of people to put a proposal together. And I read the newspaper every day. Oh, I read the newspaper every day. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, and... I'm real interested in narratives and lived experience. And I love the fact that, I love the way that in a daily newspaper, 
you encounter those things and then you kind of discard them. Mm. And I started, once I got invited to uh, put a proposal together, I immediately started to look at archives. And my original idea was to look at uh, still images and moving images. And of course, there weren't that many moving images. And what moving images there are now available are just so expensive to get access to. It's incredible how uh, like Getty pictures have a lock on all those early uh, cinematic and, and newsreel stuff. And then I, I started to do more research, <clears throat> and I became aware that there was this wealth of information about uh, the Spanish flu in the British newspaper archives. So most of the most of the narratives are from the British newspaper archive. Not all of them, but a lot of them. So every day there's a broadcast, and they're, they're averaging around three to four minutes long each one, and they're told by different voices. And time and place and location are ignored mm-hmm. so that they're just conflated as narratives. So, Because the, there was a similar pattern of flu and fighting the flu that happened all over the world. And so it kind of didn't matter where they were located, or it, it became less important to me where they were located. And the fact that they hap- that it happened to everybody, uh, not simultaneously, but you can you can kind of track its arc around the world. It started in North America, it, actually from the from the <coughs> war, hmm. when the soldiers were coming back from the war, and they were transported back. Um, started in North America, then came to the UK, and then went to Australia. Just and it really was following the trade routes of various shipping lines and stuff. Uh, so much so that actually in Australia, when it happened, there was um, all, the sh- all the ships weren't allowed to come into port until they had cleared uh, influenza. And so people were just dying like outside of Sydney Harbor on a boat for weeks and weeks and weeks until either they were all dead or they got better. So the boats were just sitting out there on yeah. the horizon. Yeah, and it's hard. Like, the stories are... Um, pretty intense. In, in Bethnal Green, because of the war, uh, there, were, there was a shortage of grave diggers. So when, uh, when it hit East London multiple times, that was the other thing too. It didn't just happen once. It, it kind of recurred. Uh, there, was, there were reports of just bodies being stacked up in the streets because they couldn't, they couldn't bury them quick enough. It was pretty profoundly uh, disturbing. Hmm. Over the course of the year... You've charted the different waves mm. of those stories, um, when, and when we spoke earlier, you said that you kind of you you kind of not played with the narrative, but certainly you could <clears> see where it was going, and there were these key moments, and then you could kind of work that around those histories, and it must be a an interesting experience, maybe dangerous. It feels dangerous to to play with these historical things and say, look, I'm consciously playing with things that are, well, historical facts. I suppose you could put that in quotes maybe, but uh, can you explain that process? Yeah. Um, What struck me was how many parallels there are to today in terms of the atmosphere and the mood and the environment that people were living in because, I mean, we're living in a time of deep uncertainty. We don't know what's happening after October 31st in this country, and we don't know what to believe. Uh, We don't know where to turn. We're full of questions and doubt and concern and fear. And maybe it's really exciting. Maybe. It's also potentially really devastating. 
And I, th- and I saw a lot of parallels with what was happening with the flu in the way that people just did not understand what was happening. Then there was so much panic and so much distress that people were just turning everywhere mm. for any kind of handle on how to get through this thing. So um, what interested me was the, was the, are those parallels, but also you know, the way that we tell stories and the way that we understand information and the way that that is spoken to us, I think is also real important. So like it was the way that this sounds really obvious, but the way that a newspaper article is written is not necessarily the way that someone would speak. So to turn those, to turn that, those, those historical documents into spoken narratives, it was imperative to alter the narratives. Also, I did play, I'm still playing with, um, trying to respond to things that are happening now. So there's October 31st is a, an important date. It's Halloween. And so I've, I've made a special one for October 31st, which isn't necessarily from any newspaper articles at all. And there's been a few dates which have been significant. That date in March, I forget what date that was, the first time that we were supposed to leave, hmm. um, whatever date that was. And so there were, there were a bunch of things around that time where <laughs> I started to impact more creatively into the narratives than I would ordinarily. At first, I was really sticking to the truth or a perceived truth, but then I've really deviated hugely from that. In some of your other work, you use um, storytelling to create a sense of circularity, of, of time repeating, and uh, in... I can't remember the name of the particular piece, but a, a chap was telling uh, you about an experience he had in Soho, I think it was it was a, a guy oh, coming yeah. out or something like that. And there's a <laughs> anonymous... It could be from any time. It could be anyone speaking. And you use... To probably to, to describe your work, but maybe Don't, rightly or wrongly, yeah. no, it's all right. it's but good. you use okay. that kind of ahistoricity to make kind of layered points about time that it could happen at any time and, and, and different ways of doing that. Was the... I think a lot of people have picked this up, obviously, and you've sp- you're speaking about that with the Spanish flu piece. Is there what's been some of the really surprising um, coincidences or, or layering that's happened with contemporary um, interpretations of the Spanish flu thing? Um, there was a story on I can't. I was just trying to look at what day it was. I think it might have been October third or October second. And there was this person called John Young who traveled from, who's actually British, but traveled in San Francisco up and down the coast from San Francisco to Los Angeles, uh, sharpening knives and sharpening scissors. And that was what they did. And they had a friend from here that also lived outside of San Francisco. And the story goes on that John Young went to this person's house and died on their doorstep. And their friend knew that they actually weren't a a man that was a woman who is uh, dressed as a man. And she made, um, I've really stretched a truth here, and that uh, in the article it doesn't suggest how she dresses, but I've made her have a a mustache wig that she's plucked (laughs) from her eyebrows and her eyelashes to, to further enhance the story about being a man. Anyway, so when she dies on this doorstep, her friends are kind of really devastated, and they've kept her secret the whole time. But it comes out in the newspaper article that she was not a man. And at the end, the, um, the tombstone says both names, 
which is incredibly contemporary yeah. in that time. So I think there are moments like that which feel like it could be today, but it's not. It's 100 years ago. There and are a lot of elements in, in your work there that really remind me of uh, certain aspects of surrealism in that respect by taking kind of those very various kind of <clears throat> aspects and then using them in a way that's very suggestive and, and it kind of very a- active and unconscious in a sense. Yeah, I'm real interested in creative nonfiction. And in this country, creative nonfiction is really derided as a literary genre. It's like not at all something that's celebrated. But where I come from in Midwestern America, it is really <laughs> celebrated as a literary genre. And so like Truman Capote's In Cold Blood and the retelling of a real event in a narrative sense as if it's a piece of fiction is something that really, really, really interests me. So I, I tend to think that I'm, I'm trying to play with information I'm not exactly lying, but I'm not exactly telling the truth either. I'm trying to convey other kinds of maybe less tangible truths. Um, we've got some slides with uh, some, some quite big slogans. <clears throat> and yeah, so like... Um, it's, so this one says, painful discovery. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Uh, <laughs> so Radio Influenza is pr- predominantly a sound piece of work, and it's not physical in any way, and the way to access it is through Twitter or Instagram or... Uh, we stopped Facebook because nobody looks at Facebook anymore. <laughs> um, and on Instagram, it was important to have a visual component. So all of these, there's 300, there will be 365 images, and they all are headlines from newspapers that, that describe the articles. Uh-huh. Um, and where, which particular newspapers? Did you go all over the world, or did you...? Uh, pro- pro- predominantly, the British Newspaper Archive is incredible. It's got every newspaper ever published in this country, and they keep adding to it. And it, it is primarily British. Uh, there's a... I forget the name of it. I think it might be called Nova. There's a, a, an Australian newspaper ar- archive that we used, and we used an American newspaper archive. Mm-hmm. With um, and apologies, I haven't listened every day. Why should you? I, I've listened every day. <laughs> What's been to. your experience of the of that sense of time of, of creating a work that exists over three hundred and sixty five days, but also analysing another period in history, obviously a hundred years ago, and almost living a lot of your life in that time as well. Uh, um, <clears throat> when I originally came up with the proposal, it was. At the interview, um, it was going to be live. I was going to broadcast every day a live version of these events. So there were going to be people reading it. And that's what I did at the interview. And I realized, uh, I realized when I was reading it how complicated and difficult that was going to be. I had no clue how challenging it was going to be in terms of a project. So for every three to four minute or 15 second broadcast... I've looked at easily 10 to 15 different articles to get it down. Some days there were 70 articles at the beginning. There were hundreds of articles every day about the flu. And then it, as it waned, it, they began to dwindle. But every, every report that I've fabricated comes from multiple sources. And, yeah, I forget the question. What was the question? <laughs> What's been your experience oh, of yeah, time? Sorry. Um, so, like, putting it together was way more challenging than I ever could have imagined. And, and we were just talking about this a second ago, that it, I think the epidemic, obviously there was, a, there was a flu epidemic, but what that created and what 
doctors didn't fully understand, what people still don't fully understand, is why the flu sends people kind of crazy. And so there, the, the suicides were, are just profound. And they weren't just like regular suicides, if there is such a thing. There were, they were pretty extreme uh, responses to this thing that began to inhabit people's bodies. Hmm. So around February, it was really depressing. It was really depressing to wade through all this devastation and all this death. It was really, it was pretty hardcore. So that felt, that was like too much, if I'm really honest. And I was glad that, and also February didn't really help that much, <laughs> you know, being that time of year. But in the end, because um, I'm almost done now, only a couple of weeks to go, what's been amazing about it is to spend so much time in, in my head, in like a historical sense. And to try, I've, I'm not that interested in history, but I'm interested in lived history. Mm. And I don't really care about truth or facts so much. I care about experience and people's responses to things. And that's been the thing that's been so amazing is how some people just uh, had a really kind of hilarious response to becoming ill. Other people had a really tragic response to becoming ill. And I think the thing that it, it really made me aware of is that when we understand medicine and science, we often understand that from an academic or at a distance. We don't really understand that from a personal experience unless we go through it ourselves. And that was the thing that really came across in Radio Influenza was trying to capture these moments that had a huge impact on people's lives and, and that devastated whole communities and the results of that, the leftovers of that, and the way that those things were told. And there was this, um, in Alaska, there was this Inuit population who, the trappers, they noticed that the trappers stopped coming, and they thought that was because there was another war, but actually it was because of influenza. And so they hadn't been visited in months and months and months. And then when they were visited, of course, they got influenza. Jordan, thank you very much. It's been fantastic. Big hand, please. You've been listening to Trebuchet Talks. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you heard, please subscribe.